Welcome back to another Conversations in Consciousness podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Asher Gray. I'll be with you for the next foreseeable future. Um, A little bit about the way of the conscious creator. The conscious creator's purpose is to live in alignment with our spiritual nature and help others to do the same. We realize this purpose by fulfilling our fundamental need for inner wholeness and joy. Our process is outlined in the following set of measures. Number one, we recognize those habit patterns which undermine our purpose. Number two, we begin to cultivate a curious and receptive mind. Number three, we accept the possibility of new life-affirming experiences. Number four, we gain awareness of our self-defeating habit patterns. Number five, we acknowledge the true nature of our self-defeating habit patterns. Number six, we bring our perspective into alignment with our spiritual nature. Number seven, we commit to act upon the insights of a conscious and creative mind. Number eight, we create space by releasing what no longer serves us. And number nine, we consciously create new life-affirming experiences that fulfill our fundamental needs. A spiritual practice. After achieving physical abstinence, many of us find that our established habit patterns continue to create unnecessary suffering. As recovering individuals, we need to do something about the habit patterns that keep us in fear and unable to create nor embrace new life-affirming experiences. Without addressing these habit patterns, we will be unable to live in alignment with our purpose. We can intervene upon those undermining habit patterns by engaging the way of the conscious creator. Engaging this practice brings our habitual thought patterns of fear into a dormant state, much like chemotherapy shrinks tumors or medication makes a virus undetectable. This helps us to overcome internal resistance and develop the capacity to have a direct spiritual experience. So what is wholeness and joy? Wholeness wholeness can be viewed as living in truth. When someone is whole, they are complete. This completeness is maintained by honoring and evolving one's own authentic connection and understanding of truth. This means that their thoughts, words, and actions are aligned with this understanding as it evolves. Their spoken words bring wisdom and strength. They live in truth rather than delusion or denial. They possess accurate self-appraisal. They have a strong sense of right and wrong. In other words, they have their own moral compass. Now, joy can be viewed as living in love. When someone is joyous, they are in a state of spiritual love and bask in its subtle yet invigorating sensation. This love is only available from one's true internal soulmate. This internal union with one's spiritual essence radiates an unquenchable well-being that cannot be found through substances or other human relationships. Wholeness and joy are the result of living in spiritual alignment. Awesome. And for those of you who are in the Los Angeles area, we have two anonymous podcasts at Pathfinders Alano Club every week. We do conversations in consciousness at 2 p.m. on Tuesdays 
and we have alignment discussions at 11 a.m. on Thursdays. Pathfinders Club is located at 3367 Glendale Boulevard. Conscious Creators, the upcoming book, is written by the Creative Collective Alliance. If you're looking to connect with us on Instagram, it's ConsciousCreators underscore LA. If you'd like more information, visit our website at www.ConsciousCreators.LA. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, reach out via email at addressingthecause at gmail.com. That's A-D-D-R-E-S-S-I-N-G, the cause, all one word, at gmail.com. Awesome. All right, so today we're going to be part of the thing with conscious creators and part of the thing with these podcasts is to engage in conversations and to engage in dialogue and discussions. And sometimes those discussions are with other people. And sometimes those discussions or those conversations are um, with one's own spiritual essence, with one's own spiritual viewpoint, with one's own spiritual nature, with the consciousness of one's spiritual being, so to speak. And so today, uh, we're going to, Ken's doing some work stuff, which is actually kind of perfect because it gives me an opportunity to commune with my spiritual nature to commune with the consciousness of my spiritual being that I truly am and to gain insight and perspective on this eighth measure that's been um, the later measures in this process are the ones that I'm least familiar with. As you know, people that have been listening to this for a while and have been tuning in and kind of tracking the progress, there's nine measures in the way of the conscious creator. And I have been working all nine measures over the last five years. But there's some measures that I've been um, practicing more deliberately and that I have a better grasp of that I have internalized and integrated into my, you know, my being and have assimilated that wisdom and I'm living and embodying it. Other parts, I'm still in the deliberate phase. I'm still applying it in my life and still learning more about it and kind of moving through experiences that are availing me the wisdom necessary to be able to truly articulate what the measure encapsulates. And so today, seven, eight, and nine are very, very important measures. And today we're going to be kind of talking about, we're not going to kind of be, we're going to be diving into the eighth measure. But prior to doing that, I want to invite spiritual consciousness into this conversation. Um, And so I'm going to just get quiet for a second. I'm going to have a little prayer. I'm going to invite spiritual, the, the, the conscious viewpoint and perspective and insight of spiritual consciousness into this experience right now. So spiritual consciousness of love and truth. I acknowledge your presence within me and within the atom of within the consciousness of every atom in this universe. I invite your conscious, creative viewpoint and wisdom to transcend my limited viewpoint. Grant me access to your insights and your expanded viewpoints so that I may have a better, more enriched understanding of this eighth measure so that I may serve others with this understanding. So I invite you to inspire my thoughts and to guide my actions and to to work through me and help me to understand with greater clarity 
what's the aim of the eighth measure and how it, could it best be written and articulated and expressed in a way that's going to be a maximum usefulness to my fellow human beings who are on this path with me. Okay, so the eighth measures, so I invite you into this process and please grant me your spiritual insights. All right, and so the cool thing about spoken word, <clears throat> those who are engaged in the therapeutic experience already know this. A lot of times when someone's not, someone gains clarity and gains wisdom and understanding through speaking and then hearing themselves speak and then asking questions. So these conversations in consciousness podcasts from time to time are going to be me having a conversation and a dialogue with consciousness. And so... And that's self-consciousness, that's consciousness of being, and that's God-consciousness. Consciousness is threefold. I guess you could equate that to the Holy Trinity that they talk about in the Bible. So I have, you know, I have my consciousness, the self-consciousness, that consciousness that gives me awareness of my physical body and my presence here in this moment on earth in this physical plane. And then I have the consciousness of being, so that's uh, I have a spiritual being, and that being has, that spiritual being within has consciousness, and I can tap into that consciousness, and then that consciousness is my direct connection to God or source consciousness. So that spiritual being within or that consciousness of being is very much like a Christ consciousness. It's the inter intermediary. It's the it's the communication device that allows me the individual self to communicate and commune with God or source consciousness and so the eighth measure states that we commit I'm sorry the eighth measure commit says that we create space by releasing what no longer serves us and so by creating space we create space for what so the long form of this is we create space for new life affirming experiences by releasing what no longer serves us. So a life affirming experience. So life affirming, the definition in the book is, you know, something that invokes a sense of optimism, of wholeness and joy, something that supports us in the fulfillment of fundamental needs. So a life affirming experience is something that's aligned with wholeness and joy and spiritual abundance. A self-defeating experience is something that undermines our purpose and welfare. So, you know, we're bringing ourselves, our individual, um, you know, our individual self into alignment with the creative power that is availing us the opportunity to create beyond the mold of our conditioning. We're creating new life-affirming experiences. We're not creating familiar, self-defeating experiences. For me, much of my life, I was very addicted to and engrossed in this pattern, habituated into this pattern of creating, recreating familiar yet self-defeating experiences, recreating the kind of experiences that undermine my purpose and welfare. Now, why on earth would I do such a thing? Why on earth would I use my creative time? Why would I use my creative energy here in, in my body? Why would I use my creative bandwidth 
as well as my precious time in this body, in this incarnation, to recreate something, especially to recreate something that doesn't serve me, to recreate something that undermines the foundation of what I'm here to do. You know, I'm here to connect and to express and to share wholeness and joy with other spiritual beings having human experiences. So why on earth would I use my creative concentration, my creative bandwidth to create and then recreate the kind of experiences that leave me feeling divided and um, empty and you know, defeated and irrelevant and unlovable and insignificant and um, in the unable, stuff like that. Well, the reason I would do such a thing is because I had, I had already accepted as my identity, as who I believed I was, fundamental beliefs. And those fundamental beliefs have a, a certain vibrational frequency to them. They have a certain vibratory quality to them. Someone who, <clears throat> for example, and I'll bring it into a concrete form, somebody such as myself, who for years as a child, whenever he would enter into a room where his father was sitting, would see his father not open his arms to embrace him, but would see his father shrink back and brace up against him. I would watch myself, my, I would watch my father have a visceral reaction to me coming into the room. It frazzled him. It was obvious to me that there was something wrong with me because this human being who was my father, who I really wanted their, his love and approval, he was not capable of giving me love or approval. He wasn't capable of receiving my energy. And I became habituated to that sort of expectation. So when I'd walk into a room, you know, I would just, it's almost like I would start to invalidate myself and I would start to act certain ways and I would start to do things just to excuse me. Like, see, I'm just acting crazy. That's why he's bracing up against me. That's why he's turning away. That's why he's having this reaction. It was never wow, that guy's like a frazzled alcoholic. His nerves are shot out and he's a PTSD survivor and he doesn't know how to receive love from his son. He just is doing, she's trying to show up right now, but he's obviously in a triggered state and he's not in spiritual alignment and he's a little bit traumatized. I didn't have that awareness. I was eight. I was just like, wow, this guy's not digging it. He, so there's something wrong with me. So I was one, and, and in Conscious Creators, we talk about those are source point moments. Something's happening. Sometimes it's like sexual molestation or rape or something really traumatic and observable is happening. And other times it's these subtle nuance type of reactions like I'm describing with my father. But in either case, people on the planet tend to have one of two reactions to those kind of experiences, to those source point moment experiences. And my particular reaction was, well, there's something wrong with me. And then I started to kind of indulge in that. There's something wrong with me. And then I started to manifest things that were wrong with me. And then I started to do things that I could observe myself saying, wow, I'm crazy or I'm a class clown or I'm a troublemaker. Or I'm a, a million different manifestations of something. But there was definitely this like, well, there's something wrong with Asher. He's, you know, whatever. And so I started to manifest my belief that there was something wrong with me. And before I knew it, I didn't know who I was if I wasn't catastrophizing and I wasn't creating experiences that invalidated me and my spiritual wisdom and wholeness and grandeur. Uh, 
I didn't know who I was without this identity that I was creating. And so, and then by the time I'm 30, I'm, you know, creating, then recreating and invalidating my authentic self every time I recreate one of these self-defeating experiences. Every time that, like, for example, if there's an emotionally available woman who wants to love me, I can't receive that. I would brace up and kind of reject that person's love in a similar manner to my father and how he braced up and rejected my love. And I couldn't see that. All I could see was that these women wanted to love me, but all I saw was like uh, a threat or a danger and I needed to protect myself or I needed to strike first. And it was only a matter of time till they realized I was no good. So I was going to emotionally serial kill them first before they had time to hurt me. Typical narcissistic behavior. I was just locked in a narcissistic pattern. And so I heard it hurt and confused a lot of people with that, much like my father hurt and confused me with his pattern. And then once he had some drinks in him, he would warm up. There would be these phases to my father's behavior. So he would brace up when I'd first come to visit him and he'd brace up the first few times I was in the room. And then you know, as the night would progress, we'll just take it at the microcosmic level of a, of a night. As he had a couple of drinks, I started to get a little bit buzzed. Well, then he was all open and gracious and that, 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 that anxiety and that, that, that what obvious reaction thing would go away and he would be loving and he would be charismatic and gregacious and all these things. And then he would pass through that phase and then he would get into the second or the third bottle or the bot clip portion of the evening and then out would come this other person and the person that would come out when he got to a level of intoxication that was very much a person who was going to sit me down and he was going to tell me all the things that were wrong with me and tell me to slow down and tell me to do this and tell me to do that and very much like reprimand or you know just kind of uh mentally mind fuck me a little bit you know and then he would just go pass out and then he'd wake up in the morning and so there's two parts to this. There would be the part where he was really gregacious and open and loving. And what he would do is, you know, he promised me all sorts of things. Oh, he's going to take me driving for a driving lesson the next day. Oh, we're going to go fishing. We're going to go do any number of things, but we're going to go do something. There's a promise that's made to me or there's a, a, a statement that's said to me that I receive and I go, oh, that sounds really good. Wow, he's going to do that. That sounds really cool. And then he would pass through that phase and get really drunk and then start coming down on me and ridiculing me or lecturing me. And then he would pass out. And then in the morning, there was no recollection of him ridiculing or coming down on me, nor of promising me this or that. So then I was, well, I was left the next day often just going like, oh, okay, so that never happened. And so that's a very confusing thing for an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, 10-year-old, 12-year-old person to... Um, process and kind of figure out and work through. And so then, you know, the similar thing would happen with me. I would be, I would be very fearful of a woman or a new friend at the beginning. I would have a lot of anxiety and discomfort and kind of clumsiness. And I would brace up against that experience. Let's just keep it to romantic relationships. And then I would get high enough or drunk enough, or I would, you know, dissociate and numb myself enough that then I could go through that phase of being, you know, of love bombing and being really charismatic and telling them everything they wanted to hear and doing all that. And then I would go into the phase where I would get 
And I, I'm not sure if I got any more drunk or more wasted. I think what happened is I just turned and out came this other energy that really wanted just to alienate these women and get them out of my sight. I wanted them to leave. I wanted them to go. I, I, like in the morning, for example, like we would have fun, then we would hook up. And then after we hooked up, there would be an, a, an opportunity for us to kind of emotionally connect and kind of go there. And so then I would emotionally connect with the person and be vulnerable. And then after that happened, then in the morning when I was sitting in that vulnerable thing going, wow, I just really kind of like, uh, not number one, <clears throat> I overshared, which is a big thing with me. And now I have a really strong emotional attachment to this person. I'm not seeing this person as the person that they came into my house 12 hours before. Now all of a sudden they're like my mom and I'm attached to them in a really unhealthy way. And I don't want them to leave. And I don't know who I would be if they were to leave and leave me by myself with my thoughts that I was having in that fucked up state of mind. And it's not the alcohol or the drugs. I can also do that sober. I could in the past before this practice do that sober as well. And so, and that would really confuse people. So then in the morning, to, instead of saying, hey, look, I got some things I need to take care of. It was a wonderful evening. I'm really glad I got to know you. I'm glad we got to connect. I'm glad we got to do all that. That was um, an unexpected, um, unexpected blessing. It was great. Uh, let's check in later. I was already in a triggered state. I was already dissociated. I was already this five-year-old that was like attaching to his mom or his dad. And I was just, I, I didn't know how to detach with love. So I had to detach with violence and I had to detach by attacking and being really mean to these women and then make basically making them so uncomfortable that they would just leave. And it's similar to the pattern that my dad and I shared. And I never really thought about that until today. In fact, everything I'm sharing with you right now in this moment is, um, I've never put all this together. So everything that I'm speaking with you about today has never been formulated in my mind. I've never actually gone through the phases of my father's drinking. I've never equated those phases of his drinking to my phases and the, the, the kind of dynamics that I would create with these intimate relationships with these women. Okay. And so it's, uh, you know, so the power of prayer and invocation in these situations and conscious creators, I mean, I'm sitting here and I'm just witnessing it. I'm saying, okay, cool. So, so wow, that that's, I was recreating a specific pattern with all these women, which is interesting because I'm in my sister program in Alcoholics Anonymous and 12-step program. I'm on, you know, the eighth and the ninth measure. I'm at the state where, I'm, you know, the eighth measure says, you know, we made a list of all persons we had harmed and we became willing to make amends to them all. And time and time again with certain women, and, you know, Andy was one of them, uh, my ex-girlfriend in San Francisco. Um, you know, Liza, Andy, um, there's been a few, but there's a couple that really stand out to me that time and time again, when they were put, they, they were in a position where they needed me to show up for them. I emotionally, physically, spiritually abandoned them. And I went and I dissociated from that. I was not able to show up for those people in those moments and i shrunk back from those opportunities to 
commune with their spirits and to help stabilize them and to help them regulate and to help them move through challenging experiences that I myself was partially responsible for them for for them enduring in the first place. Unplanned pregnancies, for example. You know, a couple of women that I was in intimate relationships with, um, you know, in their moment of need when they were going needing to go take a, get a get an abortion, for example, I abandoned them completely. My one relationship, she was she was pregnant with twins and their hearts stopped beating and she was scheduled to have a DNC. I dissociated from all that. I couldn't show up for that. I I I, I just like it was like an involuntary reaction and I went off and I got high and I disappeared. And from that moment on that person never looked at me the same. I mean how could you? How could you? And so and now and there's no judgment in that because I mean, I, I feel terrible about those things. I mean, but not in a way of like, oh my God, I'm an awful person. I just know I have that. I have those experiences. Like I remember one time, one of my ex-girlfriends, she had to get a friend because last minute I bailed and I was at a strip club getting lap dances the whole time she was at Planned Parenthood, uh, getting an abortion that, you know, I was 80% responsible for, you know, she could have taken birth control, but I knew what I was doing. And I was so selfish in that moment that I didn't want to like pull out just a second early. I wanted to, 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 to continue to uh, actually to be really forthrightly honest with you. I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to look bad. I didn't want to look bad prematurely ejaculating. And so I just ejaculated inside of my girlfriend and created an unplanned pregnancy. And, um, I, I am, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I've taken about 10, I, and I did that again, you know, not too many years ago, uh, you know, five or six years ago, that was the last time when I hit a bottom, once again, I was using. So, and I'm not saying that alcohol and drugs are the reason why I did all these behaviors. Alcohol and drugs are a gateway to me activating my trauma avatar and activating this self-defeating identity that I'm describing here. I start to vibrate at a different frequency. I start to perceive loved ones like my mom and my sister as threats. I start to want to psychically and verbally attack them because I'm in this vibration of victimhood. I'm in this vibration of having things taken from me, even if it's just being demasculinized by my sister and my mom because they were abusive to me when I was younger. So... But all that, all that comes out, all the unhealed parts of me come out and I start to psychically attack people. I start to do things like um, live in a prolonged dissociated state and just barrel through life just needing what I need and not having any, any sort of no, – no sort of spiritual alignment, no sort of attunement and communion with my spirit and no sort of attunement or communion with the spirit, the indwelling spirit inside of these folks – that I'm supposedly having these intimate relationships with. And a lot of damage, in fact, all damage ensues from that place. And so when I use drugs or alcohol, I dissociate, I get out of spiritual alignment. I um, go into like almost like a psychotic or a hypnotic trance and out comes this trauma avatar and his identity. And he's very much a victim and he's very much a, a woman hater. He's, he's very much someone who has narcissistic tendencies. And that, that, that person right there is capable of, atro uh, of, of truly uh, atrocious acts. That person right there is capable of 
inflicting trauma, spreading the trauma virus to other people, and perpetuating the trauma virus within himself and within everyone he touches, whether it's jobs that he just doesn't show up from, deposits that he takes and just ghosts the people, or, you know, um, unplanned pregnancies, or just doing, you know, just no regard for other people because I'm not a person at that point. At that point, when I'm in my trauma avatar, I'm a, I'm a zombie. I'm part of the zombie apocalypse. There's no conscious connection nor communion with my spiritual nature. And that lack of spiritual communion and wholeness manifests in physical disease, mental illness, all sorts of things. So all those, the, the mental illness, the bipolar, the, and this is just me. I'm not talking about everybody else. My symptoms of mental illness, my ADHD, my bipolar, my depression, my um, mania, all those kind of things completely have leveled out and they're, they're non-existent with this practice. That's just me. I don't know if other people are going to have that kind of uh, experience, but as I've realigned with my spiritual nature, as I have gotten back into alignment with my spiritual nature and have learned to live in this vibrational integrity of me being human going through life in this physical plane with a consistent conscious connection to my spiritual nature, that's a different vibrational frequency. That's a different attitude and outlook that I have. That's a different way with which that I am connecting to my moments and also to the people with whom I share those moments. And so my only job is to maintain spiritual alignment. To maintain this communion with spirit, this communion with, with spiritual conscious insight that avails me the opportunity to see objectively and to respond to my moments with love and truth rather than react to those very same moments with fear and anger. And so getting back to the eighth measure, because that was a lot, but I, hopefully it was, it was helpful for you. So getting back to this eighth measure. Uh, you know, we create space by releasing what no longer serves us. So up until the eighth measure, we've been working on releasing, we've been working on undoing the knots, the mental knots that have kept us entangled in our unconscious, self-defeating, fear-driven identity. Up until the eighth measure, we've been going through a set of processes to gain awareness, to turn on what we call conscious awareness, and to regain vibrational integrity. And by the time we have finished the sixth uh, measure mantras, the alignment mantras, and we've done those two cycles, we're in vibrational alignment with our spiritual essence. We are in vibrational integrity. We are in our proper waveform. We are very much the person that we were born to be. And so I've said this before in other podcasts, that all that can happen to my basic essence or my basic personality through coming into life and interacting with fearful and conscious people, my basic essence or my basic personality can be worsened. It can become encumbered by trauma viruses. It can be corrupted with viruses. It can be corrupted with viruses in the form of self-defeating beliefs. It can become corrupted in the form of fearful thought patterns that keep me avoiding things that I perceive as threats or dangers, even though those dangers and threats are only imagined. They're not real. 
but I'm imagining the threat and the danger and I'm having a fearful reaction anyway. And so those are the ways in which my, my fundamental essence, my core, my MS-DOS personality can be worsened. And so what, what, that person is not the person who should be going out into the world and consciously creating new experiences. Number one, we need to acknowledge the fact that we have, we need to recognize that we have been corrupted, that our fundamental essence and our basic personality has been worsened and that it's been worsened by self-defeating beliefs and fearful thought patterns and fearful thought impressions that have corrupted our receptive mind and tainted the lens of our attitude and outlook, the perspective upon which we are interacting with the world. And we need to recognize that there, we, we need to recognize those habit patterns of thinking, of thought and emotions that are undermining our purpose. And then we can start to become curious and receptive to new possibilities. So that's why the beginning of the process starts out with 21, like pretty universal um, undermining habit patterns that people who are in fear and out of spiritual alignment and trying the best they can to cope with the inner void of incompletion, trying to cope with the absence of spiritual wholeness and joy. The, the, the absence of spiritual wholeness and joy, that vibration tends to manifest specific habit patterns and specific beliefs. Now, how those habit patterns and those beliefs manifest are different for every person. So, for example, some people who have the self-defeating belief that they're incapable or unworthy, they'll go out like myself and they'll wear that belief kind of like as a badge of honor. I would become the unlovable victim. I would become, I would play the part of the unlovable victim. I would put myself in positions where I could visibly watch people walking away from me where I could go see or blow up opportunities and I could go see I'm incapable and I'm unlovable and I'm unworthy. Boom. Then there's other people who have that very same belief, and I can't diagnose anyone, but there's people that have the exact same belief, but they engage in compensation. So they, instead of wearing it like a loose garment, like I was just describing, they go out into the world and they get four master's degrees and they get like high power jobs that's doing this, or they do, they insulate themselves with intellect and with um, status and all these different things to compensate from this belief that they have that they are incapable, unworthy, and unlovable. So the, the way that these beliefs manifest, the way that these habit patterns and these thought impressions manifest for each person is different. That's why it's a personal journey for each human being who engages this way of the conscious creator. But irregardless, we're going through the first six measures of this to regain vibrational integrity, to regain spiritual alignment, to turn on conscious awareness, and to begin to see the ways in which our basic personality has been worsened. And we can see that those have patterns and the ways that we have worsened our, we corrupted our basic personality um, through, uh, you know, the seventh measure, which the seventh measure is really great. So we're committing to act upon insights of conscious and creative minds. Sometimes that conscious and creative mind is my own. Oftentimes that conscious and creative mind is a friend or a spirit guide or a loved one who is in that moment not triggered into their trauma avatar and therefore has access to has access to spiritual insight and can transmit that spiritual insight to us 
but we're not capable of doing in that moment because we're so triggered and we're in our own avatar and we're so dissociated spiritually. We're out of spiritual alignment. So that's what seven's all about. And as we move into eight, now we know what vibrational integrity feels like. We know what conscious awareness is. We know that conscious insight, much that's like, uh, this is a demonstration through this podcast right now. I literally walked into this and I said, I doubt that there's going to be anything worthwhile. My self-defeating identity, that part that, you know, you know, I was like, oh, I don't know. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say the prayer and I'm going to invite spiritual awareness and conscious insight into this conversation because I have an earnest desire to do a really good job on this book in these last three measures. And so, you know, that earnestness and that desire, maybe that, 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 that'll send out a vibrational match to my spiritual essence and that my spiritual essence will be able to respond in kind and grant me some insights to help me write a better measure so that I can be of better service to spiritual love and truth. And to my own, um, my own personal and spiritual evolution. And so I just kind of was open. But I mean, going through this is obvious to me that this prayer was answered. I wasn't a, a vibrational match with my own spiritual consciousness. And there's a part of me that's a really loving, generous part of me that really wants this to be a successful. It wants this thing to bear fruit. It wants this thing to bear fruit for me and for my family and for so many other people who are out there struggling with this exact same thing that we're bringing light and word and language to, and we're bringing awareness to, and we're helping to gently and lovingly show people what they're up against, and then giving them a pathway to freedom, a pathway back to innocence, a pathway back to spiritual abundance, a pathway back to living in alignment with and communing with their spiritual nature. And so by the time we get to the eighth measure, you know, we know what spiritual integrity is. I mean, I'm sorry, vibrational integrity is. We know what conscious awareness is. And now we're going out and we have the tool which are the mantras, to keep ourselves in spiritual alignment, to keep ourselves in alignment with our um, fundamental essence, that spiritual nature. And so and now we're going to move back into the world and we're going to start to acknowledge because nothing's changed really externally. Maybe some things have changed. Maybe our responses to certain things have changed. Maybe our reactions to certain things have changed. But now we're looking at the world and we're saying like, I've created this to stay in this vibration. I've created this to validate that's part of my unconscious identity that believes he's incapable. I have abstained from and neglected all of this over here in order to keep myself believing that perhaps I was unlovable or un undesirable. I did this. So there's all this stuff that I've either actively done or actively dissociated from and totally ignored. But all of these aspects of my life are a reflection of my conflicted, corrupted vibration that I've been living in from from age, you know, when I became corrupted, when I became corrupted with instinctual fear, when I lost conscious contact with my spiritual essence, when I started to, for a better lack of a better word, started to sleepwalk and just kind of bump into things and, and react to things. And I lost conscious contact and I ceased to commune with that eternally wise and benevolent part of me. And so now I have a connection to it. I have the tools to maintain that connection. And now I can see from this sustained vibratory pla uh, plateau that I'm at right now, what parts of my life are a vibrational match and what parts of my life 
are not a vibrational match. And so the purpose of this measure is to move out into the world and make the necessary adjustments by releasing the parts of our, the parts of my life that are not a vibrational match. And it's not all or nothing. The work that we do here in Conscious Creators isn't like, all right, well, that doesn't work, so throw that person out. Well, that car has a bad seatbelt, so let's just get a new car with a seatbelt that works. No, we're going to fix that seatbelt. So we're going to look at things and we're going to look at things dynamically and um, um, we're going to look at things through the lens of spiritual awareness, which can see things more complexly. I don't know if that's a word, can see things from a more complex and dynamic way. So it's about all about the gray areas between the black and white. We're not just throwing everything away unless we know for a fact that fundamentally this relationship or this job, or this thing that we're doing, this attachment, whatever the thing is we're doing, is absolutely 100% undermining our purpose and welfare for being on the planet. Well, then we got to say goodbye to it. And this process, this measure is about um, creating the necessary structure so a person could send those parts off. But more often than not, it's about, and it's interesting, because this is a microcosm for where the human organism is right now. So the human organism, the consciousness, if you will, the consciousness of the human organism has outgrown a lot of the systems that are in place. It's outgrown a lot of the, the you know, the traditional hierarchies and religious and institutional organizations. Whatever all that is, the consciousness of humanity is... is, is is, is expanding beyond that. So it's, you know, you know, and the, the system isn't broken. It's just the consciousness of, uh, you know, the consciousness of hum the human organism has outgrown those systems that are in place. And very much on a microcosmic level, each conscious creator, their consciousness has now grown. It has expanded. And they're going into their life and they're saying, okay, these systems just don't serve my new conscious, my, my new level of conscious awareness and vibrational frequency that not only am I maintaining, but I have a desire to build upon and continue to grow in this direction. So my desire to continue to expand my conscious awareness, to expand and to increase my vibrational frequency, my frequency of vibration, my baseline of uh, uh, vibrational integrity, as that continues to grow, you know, more and more systems are going to become inadequate because they no longer allow us as human beings to express our life force adequately. And so at the end of the day, each human being as their own, you know, like I'm a human being comprised of cells. There's many universes within me. My body's full of cells and they're all vibrating at different frequencies. And I, my consciousness is all full of cells and spheres of energy. And I'm like in my own world. I'm like my own universal atom. And so now that I'm vibrating in, in alignment with my source, my spiritual source of energy, I'm getting my spiritual sustenance from um, my spiritual source, and let's just call it consciousness, source consciousness. I'm, I'm tapped into that now. So I'm, I'm vibrating at a different frequency and that's going to continue to be the case. So I need to move into the world and I need to say, okay, this, this relationship worked really great. I can, for example, but though, let's take my roommate in Echo Park, my roommate in Echo Park and I have been to get like roommates part-time, sometimes full-time, Sometimes just a couple of days a week. It's a, it's gone through many different evolutions. It's gone through me living there in many different incarnations in many different vibrational frequencies. 
I've been I've, I've been vibrating in the dissociated addict thing. I've vibrated in the new parent in instinct mode and very fearful and perceiving my baby mama as a threat, much like my mom and my sister. I've gone through a lot of different vibrational incarnations at that house with my roommate. And, you know, here we are, we're still roommates, but I've, I had to go in halfway through the pandemic and recognize that if I wanted to maintain my vibrational integrity and to, if I wanted to continue to have the necessary space to keep the psychic space, the heart space, the mental space in order to keep myself in alignment with my spiritual nature, to keep a baseline of wholeness and joy within my heart so that I didn't get triggered and I didn't get in my avatar and I didn't go off and I use math and porn and all these other things, I needed to change some things about my life. I, I, I needed to create an opportunity where I could move into an environment where I wasn't having this um, specific. And in the eighth measure, we talk about relationship dynamics. And so the relationship dynamic that I had created with this person after many relapses, after a lot of trauma, after a lot of stuff, and both of us coming into that relationship with our own trauma and all of our own stored, fearful trauma, thought impressions stored in our, our body and stored within our receptive mind. You know, it's like we were triggering one another at times and we were triggering one another into these, these the, you know, like me being an active alcoholic in a dissociative space made her feel unsafe and made her perceive me as her abuser from 20 years before. Naturally, because my vibration was a vibrational match for her ex-partner who was, a, you know, like a drug addict and he had all kinds of things going on. So vibrationally, even though I wasn't physically abusing her, I was a vibrational match for that individual, which triggered her to go into her vibrational match from where she was as a trauma, as an abuse survivor from 20 years ago. And so there's been very many different variations of that in our relationship. But I recognize the need to have a clean slate and just be in the presence of people most of the time where I didn't have any kind of a, a, a room. I hadn't established a relationship dynamic. I hadn't yet. Um, I, th we weren't going to trigger each other into an undesired vibrational frequency. I wasn't going to trigger her into, you know, being a trauma survivor or trigger her into being codependent and thinking that she was responsible for taking care of me. And that in turn would trigger me or I would, because I was already triggered into this victimhood thing. And I was demanding for people such as herself to save me and to take care of me and to provide for me in a way that is unnatural for an adult person, male or female. So I just needed to I needed to move on from that and I found a place to live where I was living instead of living with her I was living with like 26 people right in the middle of the pandemic and none of those people I had any history with so that enabled me just to kind of move in there with the clean slate and that transition to now I'm living here at Pathfinders I have an office space and when I don't have my children 
I'm able to live in the office space here. And I have like, I, for the first time in my life, that's awesome. I get to commune with my higher power. I get to sit in silence a lot. I get to just be with this inner wholeness and this, this joy. I get to just be with the spiritual sensation that radiates through me as long as I maintain my practice. But I didn't just throw that person away. I didn't make that person wrong. We were both participating in a relationship and trying to love one another as best we could as triggered um, survivors of past trauma and neglect. And so, and I still do my, my, my kids days over there. I see this individual three or four times a week intermittently. I go over there and we interact and we do all the things, but I don't interact enough to get that triggered and get that dynamic and, and that vibrational thing off the ground. I get in, I go in, I have my experience with her and I'm very grateful for her. And she's always going to be a part of my village. She's all, I hope I always be a part of her village, but we'll always be in each other's village. But that doesn't mean I necessarily need to live with that person in close quarters all the time. That's not maybe the best thing, uh, especially when I'm trying, when I am still learning to live in my vibrational um, integrity and to live in my waveform, uncorrupted and unmolested, uncorrupted spiritual being you know, unencumbered by all these shitty beliefs and the self-defeating uh, identity that I was dragging through the years and hurting people with. So that's an example of not throwing out the baby with the bathwater. I didn't need to make her wrong. It's not her fault. She wasn't doing anything except being herself. It, I, I, and I do, I, I get to, I get to be, live there 12 days a month and I get to have a, a beautiful space for my girls and my girls love her. So it's just, that's the kind of thing we're talking about here. And so we're releasing things that no longer serve us. So in that state, I would have been releasing the expectation or the belief that somehow I could make it work living with this person all the time, every day. And I could somehow make it work. I could somehow become a personally responsible human being who's accountable emotionally, monetarily, physically, all these different ways. With, with someone who I have a predisposition to and I already have a relationship and a proclivity to getting them to take care of me and demanding for the, them to save me. And so that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Like, it's just not going to work. So, but that doesn't mean that I just throw that person away. It means that that expectation that I can live with someone and not have a full-time job and not have be supporting myself and expect for myself to live with that person and not get back into me being emotionally and monetarily dependent on them. And then the way that makes me feel of going and getting high and needing to escape. I bang my head against that wall a few times. And so in this particular thing, you know, creating space by releasing what no longer serves us, I would be creating space by releasing the unrealistic expectation that somehow I would be able to make that work living with that person full time. And, you know, and I was always trying to do it up until a year ago with inconsistent uh, emotional uh, financial support. I would work these odd jobs or do things. I was always in financial scarcity. I never had money in the bank. So I was always creating this a scarcity and this need for someone to rescue me and someone to save me. And so I put myself in, in front of this person and it would trigger her and then she would come to my rescue and then I would resent her and hate her for it. <laughs> And then wonder why I didn't have a girlfriend. <laughs> so anyway, I think that's enough for today. But there's a million different things like that. So, you know, obviously creating space by releasing what no longer serves us.
So releasing the expectation that there are people on the planet here who are responsible for paying my way as a human being. Letting go of that by going and getting a job at Trader Joe's and making sure I'm working and saving my money enough to pay my own rent. That place, uh, you know, however my rent is, whatever my financial overhead is every month, I have enough money coming in to cover that and not be fearful and not to be reactive. And my car's sitting out front and my car is registered and my gas tank is almost full and it's been serviced recently and the insurance is up to date. Those are all things that would not have been happening for me for most of my life because I was addicted to living in uncertainty and the anxiety and of living in panic mode and living right on the edge of needing people to come and save me because that's the way that my family members express love. I could act like a crazy person or I could act like a broken child or a crazy drug addict and I could create circumstances where my mom or dad would come and try to rescue me. And I used that guilt credit card. I maxed that guilt credit card out throughout my life and it almost killed me. So those are all things that we need to address in the eighth measure because now I'm in the vibrational. I'm, I am my own parent. I'm not this little kid running around blaming everybody. I'm, I am not my patterns. I am not the undermining habit patterns that I have created. I am a spiritual being living in alignment with my spiritual nature. I have a consciously aligned um, uh, character or personality or avatar. I have a spiritual avatar as opposed to like a trauma avatar or an addict avatar or an instinctually fearful avatar. And so in that, from that place, I get to go out into the world and make the kind of calls that I need to make in order to update the systems in my life to update the structures, to jettison the ones that don't serve me and update the ones that do. And sometimes that's inviting someone into a conversation. Hey, I really like the relationship we have, but this thing here that we're doing, that we've been participating in together, that I've been just kind of like acting like it's okay, it's not really okay for me anymore. I'm now vibrating at a frequency where I don't want that. I have this, and not only do I not want that, there's this thing that I do desire. There is this thing that I want and I think that we can share that together. I think that you and I could, you know, both aim at that. I think it's something that you might like too. I would ask you that right now. Is that something that you would also be curious to explore? Are you curious and receptive to what our relationship would look like if we ceased participating in this aspect of our dynamic and started to participate and redirected all that creative focus over here into doing this? Are you open to that? Cool. If you are, I'd love to continue this relationship with you. If you're not, I, I, you know, it's kind of a deal breaker for me. So that's all the kind of stuff that we look at in the eighth measure. It's so pivotal. It's pivotal. It's so important. All right, more on this because I think we're going to continue to pound this away. It's going to be eighth measure week. I think the more that I speak with this and the more that I get some um, interactions and I interact with consciousness about this, I think that's the key to having a really great eighth measure be created for others to benefit from. All right, that's it. That's all I got. Thanks. Peace.